This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. And welcome to the Dora County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, and here in the Bailey's Harbor studio today, I have Mariah Good. Good morning, Mariah. Good morning, Deb. So now Mariah and I have spoken. We were just talking about, I think we had a podcast not too long ago, maybe about six months, seven months ago. But at that time, we were talking about design standards for the entire county. Now we're going to be talking about something completely different, which attests to the diversity of issues that you have to deal with in the land use services department, because that's what Mariah oversees for the county of Door. So the topic today is fire signs. And fire signs are what? Basically, it's what shows the emergency services folks where your house is or which house to make sure they're at the right one. Right. So this is technically the Uniform Rural Addressing System. And so these are, are, are all of the signs green and white that are in the county right now? In the towns, right. So in the, the towns. Yeah, the county okay. took over the program from the towns like around 2000 and replaced all the signs in all 14 towns. And those are all green with white lettering right now. Okay, so mine is in the front of my yard and it happens to be in a flower bed and I bump my head on it all the time and I wonder what the heck is this thing for anyway I have an address and I don't need this sign why do I need this sign the sign is so emergency services folks can find you whether it's fire police ambulance etc it's, okay. it's not so your neighbors know what your actual address is or or so that you do or the post office yeah. yeah so it's nothing to do with that why now I can understand why an addressing system like this would have been needed in the past because we didn't have GPS. We didn't all have, you know, locations that way. So why do we need them now? That's a good question. I've actually talked to emergency services staff about this, and they say that when they go out in the field, they do obviously have computers and GPS and phones and things in their vehicles, but that they really rely on paper and on looking for the signs because they're not always getting a good signal or mm -hmm. whatever mapping program it is that they're looking at might not be correct. Um, and so they really do actually rely on the fire signs to make sure that they can find you. So they need that visual. Correct. So you decided or the county decided that these signs needed to be changed or updated. Right. I think there's two different things going on. So when the county took over doing the address number assignments and the sign installation from the towns in 2000, like we talked about, they replaced them with green signs and white lettering. But a lot of those signs are very old right now. And depending on what street, well, what side of the street you're on, whether you're getting a lot of sun, whether you're getting a lot of snow thrown out from snow plows, salts, and that kind of thing, you'll you'll start noticing, now that we've talked about this, hopefully people will notice as they're driving around, there are certain stretches where you just can't read any of the signs. Hmm. So that was one thing. There were towns and folks that were getting concerned about emergency services being able to find them. And then also the towns that... It started, I think, with a couple of Southern Door towns that were concerned that had reached out to our department a handful of years ago. And they started noticing when they were traveling to other places that not very many places have green signs. 
Mm. And a lot of places have signs that are actually perpendicular to the road. So you can read the address coming and going as opposed to having to turn your head to look at the ones that are parallel like we have. So they started reaching out to County Board and Emergency Services. And maybe three years ago, I think the decision was made that we should probably just go ahead and replace all the signs because you want them to all be uniform Mm -hmm. and have the same color and type and everything in, in all of the towns. It would almost be more work to kind of drive around the whole county and figure out which ones needed to be replaced and just replace those than it is to just go ahead and replace all of them, especially now that we're going to replace them with blue and perpendicular instead of the green parallel to the road. Okay, so there are basically two issues, and that is an upgrade to the system. It might be outdated. It They need to be situated a little bit better, and the coloring could be different. And then the other thing is some of them have worn out and need to be replaced anyway. So do they replace, who replaces them right now? Like if somebody has a sign that has fallen over, who replaces them now? Well, between 2000 and 2010, there was actually a county, a full-time county employee that did, he started the program essentially to replace all the signs, check all of the numbering systems, check all the road names because we had, you know, like... Cherry Road in two different towns that were near each other. And so emergency services wouldn't necessarily know right off the bat, like which Cherry Road they were going to. So there was a lot of road renaming in the early 2000s and then redoing addressing numbers because maybe a town might have done something wrong on a stretch of road and not assigned the correct numbers. So anyway, for 10 years, we had somebody that dealt with trying to clean up all of that and replace all the signs. And he would drive every road in every town every year and make note of which signs needed to be replaced. And so then they would be replaced at that point. Okay. But when he retired in 2010, roughly, I think, basically the county retained the function of assigning the numbers and checking the road names when a new road name is proposed. But we didn't have the staff time anymore to drive around and see which ones needed to be replaced. So we just relied on either town officials, emergency services, or the property owners themselves to let us know that a sign needed to be replaced. And so between 2010 and just this past couple months, our department, the sanitarian division, were the ones that would go and install new signs or posts or replacement signs or posts. Mm. That function is actually being has been taken over as of May or June by the highway department. So oh, the highway that makes we're, sense. We're still assigning the land use services department is still assigning the address numbers based on the grid system that's used and checking road names when new road names are proposed to make sure that they're not going to be confused with other roads. But now the highway department is doing all of the the installation of the signs. So then this program, will it update all of the addresses too to make sure that everything, since it hasn't really been done for 13 years, it sounds like, since that person retired to make sure that the addressing system, the road names, everything is correct? Well, we're trying, we want to change as few addresses as possible because it is really a pain for people to have to change their address. Absolutely. And we think the system is actually in pretty good shape because the numbering system has still been used for the last 13 years. It's just that we haven't had somebody going out and doing the physical inventorying about what needs to be replaced. Okay. So we think we're in pretty good shape as far as numbering. We did actually already have earlier this year a consultant look at the addressing manual that we use and the numbering grid system and just 
you know, kind of technical things too, as far as placement of signs and all of that. And they recommended a few changes, but nothing major to how we've been doing things. And we also had them look at a couple of types of situations that we thought were potential problems and wanted to make sure that we were handling them correctly, like larger multifamily complexes, because sometimes you'll have, you know, the buildings might have different letters, but then there's also unit numbers. And then the whole establishment itself has an address number. And we just wanted to make sure that what we were doing was correct to make it as clear as possible for emergency services. And and they actually recommended very few changes to what we've been doing. So we don't think that this, the replacement of, of the existing signs is going to cause very many people to have to get like a new address. That's good. Yeah. How many signs are there in all 14 towns? There's about 19,000. <gasps> wow. Yes. That's a lot of signs. It is a lot of signs. And where are you right now in the process of replacing those? So what we did, like I said, is we had somebody come in and analyze the the numbering and technical system that we've been using and recommend changes to that. And then right now we're literally in the middle of waiting for proposals to come in. We did an invitation to bid to actually have a firm or firms construct and install all of the signs. And those bids are due September 25th. So that project could essentially start this year or would it start in the spring? I think, I don't think any replacement of signs will start until next year because we won't be assigning the the award to the selected vendor vendors until into October. Okay. And really, once you start getting too far into November, you can't replace these signs. I mean, you can't put posts in the ground because it's, it's frozen. Okay. So then the signs are going to be blue and white and they're going to be perpendicular to the road. Correct. Okay. And we're going to replace, all the posts are going to need to be replaced as well. So it's not just going to be the actual fire sign, the fire number sign. Will this cost the addressees? It won't cost the addressees anything for this first go around. Obviously, if they need replacement signs after that, then they would have to pay for a replacement sign. Okay. And I remember that this came, this was one of the first projects when the county determined what they wanted to use the American Rescue Plan Act dollars for. This has been a part of that since the beginning almost. So how much is this going to cost the county and what is the funding mechanism? We estimated that the entire project is going to take two seasons probably and that it's going to cost about $1.2 million between labor equipment and... Right. So for those people who think that their fire signs are perfectly okay, they're not going to have an opportunity to say no to this. I mean, it's just going to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm sh- there are many signs out there that are probably still functional in terms of they're still reflective at night, they're still visible. But again, the idea is to have a uniform addressing system and to have everybody's sign look the same. So we don't want to have, I mean, during the two years that we're replacing all of them, obviously it's going to be, some are going to have the old signs and some will have the new, but at the end of it, everybody will have in the 14 towns, the same style sign perpendicular to the road, blue with with white lettering. Okay, so what about the villages in the city of Sturgeon Bay? So that's a good question. So the village of Forestville and the city of Sturgeon Bay use their own numbering system and do their own sign creation and installation. The villages of Egg Harbor, Ephraim, and Sister Bay all use the county numbering system. So property owners call us to get the numbers, even in those three villages, but then they go ahead and install their own signs. So to my knowledge, none of the four villages nor the city are talking about replacing their signs. Okay. So they are still in 
charge of all of those signs, but the addressing is uniform with the county because they do have to go through you, except for the, the city of Sturgeon Bay the and the village of Forestville. Does that cause problems? Not that I know of, and I'm not really sure how it came to be that the three villages that are using our system decided to do that, because I think in the beginning when this ordinance was adopted in 2000, it was just the 14 towns. I could be wrong about that, but I think it was just the 14 towns. Mm. So they don't have to be, they will know, emergency services will still know, even though the signs will be different in those villages and different areas. Right. Yeah. So they'll still be just the green and white, is that what they have, or do they have different... I'm trying to picture now. I think some of them do have green and white. Okay. Um, I'll have to drive up to Sister Bay and yeah. see <laughs> <laughs> So you don't really notice them until, like I said, you bump your head on them when you're gardening right. where, where they are. Will people get the opportunity to say where they should go? Unfortunately, no. And we know that lots of people have picked up their signs in the last 20 years and moved them to the other side of the driveway or out of their garden so they don't bump their head on it or whatever the case may be. But there are provisions in the manual about where the signs are supposed to be placed. And again, it's to try and help emergency services find you as quickly as possible. So they're always supposed to be on the same side of the driveway, for example, or the same approximate distance from the edge of the road. And obviously, depending on the terrain for a particular property, it might vary somewhat. But generally, we're trying to make it, again, as uniform as possible. How far away from the shoulder of the road are they supposed to be, or will they be? Do you know, or is that I can't getting too the, much in the that weeds? be too much in the weeds for me. Okay, okay. Because I was thinking, if you just turn our sign, for example, perpendicular to the road, they wouldn't be able to see it, because it's kind of far back. Right. I mean, I, that is going to be interesting because a lot of them are kind of far back and are, are placed, you know, next to trees and things yeah. like that. But I, again, I think between road ditches and you need to stay far enough away that hopefully the snowplow is going to knock, not knock them down as it, it's going through, um, but that it's going to be visible. And so it's a lot more, it feels like it shouldn't be that complicated of a project or that complicated of a thing to think about, but it actually really is once you start thinking <laughs> about it. <laughs> What are some of the other complications, like maybe buildings that are too close to the road or? Right. So actually what we're going to do is, because we had this exact discussion in basically downtown Bailey's Harbor, I'm using the word very loosely because it's going to be beyond what people probably think of as downtown and in Fish Creek in the town of Gibraltar. In those places, the signs are also all going to be replaced, just like everywhere else. But we're going to use signs that are parallel to the road and very close to either the sidewalk or the right-of-way. And it's for that exact reason that you're talking about, because there are, in those two areas, some buildings that are right up against the sidewalk. And so there's not really any place to put a sign that would be perpendicular, because people walking down the sidewalk would bump mm. their head on it. Right. And we're going to do that through the entirety of those two downtown areas, Fish Creek and Bailey's Harbor, even though most properties probably could accommodate the perpendicular sign, we don't want emergency services to have to be figuring out like, oh, some of these signs are perpendicular to the road and some are parallel. So we just are defining a geographic area for both of those parts of those towns where they will be parallel to the road. Okay. So that's for Fish Creek and Bailey's Harbor, because as we know, those are downtown centers. People often will think of them as villages, but they're not. Right. They're parts of towns. Bailey's Harbor is a town, town of Gibraltar, Fish Creek is a part of that. So that's why those are under your this jurisdiction for the right. 14 towns. And we did think about places like 
the northern end of what people think of as Sister Bay, but it's really Liberty Grove. And we thought about Ellison Bay and, you know, pulled up aerial photography to kind of scroll through. And we think that Bailey's Harbor and Fish Creek are the only places where we need to do the ones that are parallel to the road, because those other areas don't really have very many buildings that are right up on top of the road with no green space to put the signs. If you had to guess how many people would be getting a changed address as a result of this process, how many would you say that would be? A completely new address? Yeah. I hope almost none. Okay. Like I said, we we don't think we're going to have to change very many unless, I mean, if when they're out in the field, if they find something that seems completely wrong. And we try and if there are ever changes that need to be made, we try, we just try to change as few as possible because we do need to change addresses sometimes now. So someone will apply for a new address sign and then we look at the map and realize that nobody left any numbers in between the two that are on either side of the lot. Like maybe oh. a lot got split and so now it's a front lot and oh, a back lot. Okay. And the two that have houses on them are, you know, one, two, three, four and one, two, three, six. And then now there's nothing for this new lot that's going, you know, kind of in between driveway wise and back. So then we look at how can we change the fewest number of addresses as possible, but not completely thwart the the grid system. So I think we've had to change a handful this year. But as part of this process, hopefully not very many, if any. It's kind of odd that this particular project is in land use services for the county. It seems like they're... I mean, land use services, you think of zoning and planning and all of those types of things. So it's kind of interesting that the uniform rural addressing system is within your department. Am I thinking, is that, I don't know, did, did it used to be somewhere else or was it always with you? So when we had the person who this was their full-time job from roughly 2000, uh, 2000 to about 2010, he had started out doing various mapping projects for the county, like on CAD and old systems that <laughs> yes. most people probably don't know what anymore. CAD? Yeah. <laughs> so he actually, it, it, I guess it, I wasn't involved when the program was getting set up. And so I think that just, he was a logical person to have do it because he was doing a lot of the mapping. And so he was in the planning department. And then when he retired, the installation went to the sanitarians department, but then the sanitarians merged in with us. And then meanwhile, once I'm making this way more confusing than it needs to be. <laughs> the mapping person that, that was on staff after the original person retired took over doing the address assignment just because they had worked together and she kind of knew how to do it as backup anyway. Now it's actually the GIS, the Geographic Information Systems Land Information Officer that does all of the assignment. And that actually makes a lot of sense because he's also the one that then is creating the mapping layers so that when you go on the county web map, you know, all the address points pull up and everything else. So I think that part of it makes sense. I'm, I'm happy that the highway department has agreed to take over the installation part because I think that makes way more sense than having the sanitarian staff or the zoning staff do it. Go out there. You probably don't even have the proper tools. We've, we don't. Right. Frankly. Yeah. So you have to stop there anyway, pick up their tools, and then throw things into your car and go out and put a sign in. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, we have enough that our staff can get by and do it, but the, the highway department has, they're installing signs for other purposes or other entities. And so they've got much better like post pounding and drilling equipment than we do and that kind of thing. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. 
For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. So when you were talking to the County Board of Supervisors, and, and, you know, it was definitely last year or even the year before when you were first bringing this up, and then it landed on the capital improvement plan, which is the county's plan to figure out what projects, what capital projects they're going to be doing in what year. You had said that your department has never had a capital request like this, which was astonishing to me because your department is really so big in terms of the number of issues that it is involved with, the number of things that it has to do. So that was really interesting that you've never had a capital project. Right. I've never had, I mean, we've certainly put bids out before or requests for proposals for things like assistance with a comprehensive plan or assistance with maybe hazard mitigation plan. I'm trying to think of ones where we've actually used consultants because most of them we do in-house, but it's Hmm. usually what we're putting out bids for is something that's more of a a cerebral project rather than something yeah. that's actually going and making something or installing something. So it's been kind of interesting because I've just never had to do this sort of process before. Right, right. Since I have you here, Mariah, and there's still a little bit more time, what other big projects are you working on like now and into the future? So we're working on updating the comprehensive plan and rolling into that the required farmland preservation plan and also updating the bike, pedestrian, and recreation plan as part of that. So it's going to be one document that includes all of those three plans. And And that's something everybody has to do, all municipalities, but there is a county overlay. Is that for every, or is it just for the towns that have county zoning or is it for the entire county overlaying over the village over the city of Sturgeon Bay so the comprehensive plan is required for the county because we administer county zoning and a county subdivision ordinance and it's supposed to include everything not just the 14 towns Mm. we obviously have no jurisdiction in the city or the villages to adopt ordinances that get implemented there but we do take into account their future land use maps and things like that when we're creating the county-wide maps that go into the comprehensive plan the only reason we're required to do a farmland preservation plan is because the town of claybanks has a certified zoning district that the state has said yes that counts as the certified agricultural district for door county And those farmers get tax credits by being in that district. None of the other towns or property owners in other towns have opted to be in that farmland preservation program. Why not? I'm not sure exactly. Claybanks, in the early 80s, when the state came up with the original iteration of this program where you got the tax credits by being in these certified zoning districts, Claybanks was the only town that was interested in adopting that district. At the time, the requirement was a 35-acre minimum lot size, and so I don't know if that's what put people off in other towns. And it is much more restrictive as a district in terms of what types of things you can do compared to other zoning districts. And then just Claybanks has always been the only town that had it all along. Hmm. Interesting. So you'll be putting all three of those components together, and there are public hearings when you go through what you are proposing for. And and does it change very much from... The goals and, well, so the bike plan that's in effect right now is over 10 years old and it's got a lot of stuff in it that I think 
most people probably don't care about. So we're going to really winnow it down and focus more on a map of potential bike routes. And that's actually being developed kind of on the side in conjunction with a different private-public partnership. So we want it to be more practical, I think, than the bike plan that's there now. You're not required to have a bike plan, but there's obviously great interest in having biking and hiking trail, a multimodal trail, I should be calling it actually. That's really what it is, multimodal trails. Okay. So when you look at a place like the village of Sister Bay, for example, and you're looking at what the optimum land use might be for for the entire village, do you completely rely upon what they see for the future or do you have your own ideas or plans or statutes or something that directs you to say, we actually think that it should be this versus that. We completely rely on the villages and the city in that regard. So when we're creating a future land use map, which is the vision for the county 20 years out, where are you going to have commercial, agricultural, residential, industrial uses? When we create that map, we basically, not basically, we take the village or the city's map and kind of translate it into a more generalized legend and we actually do the same thing with the town plans as well. So if there's towns that have comprehensive plans, and most of them do have comprehensive plans, we take their future land use map and, again, kind of generalize that map to be able to make one county legend system. Okay. So it all just goes into one place. That's basically what the county is doing when it's creating its map of the entire county. Right. And sometimes there are conflicts, like in our existing comprehensive plan, and I think probably in the forthcoming plan that will be adopted next year, there are conflicts in between the county plan and some of the town plans. Like some of the towns have, you know, designated commercial stretches on long highway corridors and things like that. Like which Sevastopol, are, maybe. Sevastopol and Nassawapi. I wasn't going to call anybody out, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you can blame it on me. Okay, I it's your fault. <laughs> but, but right, so. But um, they're concerned about it too. I mean, they're always concerned about that right. with those long stretches, especially the town of Sevastopol, because they're always talking about how that's the introduction to, to their town, you know, to North, yeah. to the town, to... Right. I mean, it's a, and they're, other than Institute and Valmy, yeah, there really isn't any other logical place to have commercial development in, in Sevastopol other than that stretch between, you know, like Culver's and, yeah. and the Mills Separate Club. Or along the stretch between the Bayview Bridge and all the way up to Culver's. Part you know? of that's Town of Sturgeon Bay, though. It gets really confusing in there. Yeah, when you drive, When you go over the Bayview Bridge between there and the Mills Separate Club, you drive in or through parts of the city of Sturgeon Bay, the town of Sturgeon Bay, and the town of Sevastopol. Yeah. And it's not in nice, neat chunks either. Right, and it's on opposite sides of the road, so right. that makes it... Maybe a little bit better in terms, well, I don't know, is that an advantage or a disadvantage that you have all those different municipalities? I'm not sure. In terms yeah, of I mean, I'm thinking like if, if the town of Sturgeon Bay, for instance, is more lax than the town of Sevastopol, then you could have greater development and then the city of Sturgeon Bay even would allow on that stretch of highway. Right. It could end up being quite different. The city of Sturgeon Bay does weigh in when we have a public hearing, like something's either being rezoned or a conditional use permit application when it borders on the city we make sure that we send something to city staff and they will comment because the city actually when they do their land use planning they do look beyond their borders because they assume that eventually they're probably going to be annexing certain areas right. um, and so they do comment on things that are happening on the the fringes of the towns that border on the city just because they'll say "Ooh." 
we had really intended for that area to hopefully eventually be residential. We don't know how we feel about it being rezoned to commercial or something like that. So where are the Nassawapi, town of Nassawapi stretches? You were talking about some long stretches. It's similar. It's the highway. So So, basically, you know, entrance of town of Nassawapi up to when you hit the city of Sturgeon Bay limits. So south of the city of Sturgeon Bay, then you have those long. So the county will weigh in if it thinks that it needs to take a different direction than what the town envisions for those stretches? What we've done is we take their future land use maps exactly as they give them to us. And then, you know, if they've colored, I think red commercials red if they've colored red along the highway then we put commercial along the county highway stretch but we make sure in the text to, to talk about when or if some of those future land use designations conflict with broader goals so generally people would prefer to have towns not grow like linearly along the highway sprawl actually people sure. generally prefer it to be more compact and you know growing sort of outward of course people can't see the hand motions I'm making right now but <laughs> So she is saying (laughs) outward from the center. Rather than, yeah, along the roads. Right. Um, So those are really the only conflicts that I can think of that are in the current comprehensive plan. And they're literally in the plan because the map conflicts with the goal of not having this linear development. Um, So in the town of Essawapi, they're not under county zoning jurisdiction. So the county doesn't have any permit authority in that area. So Nassawapi is issuing whatever they're issuing. In the town of Sevastopol, for that particular stretch, when somebody comes in to apply to rezone something or do a conditional use permit or whatever, we just make sure to point out to the resource planning committee, okay, here's this language that's in the comprehensive plan that's been adopted by the county. So this is just something you need to pay attention to when you're looking at this application. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't think of that even when, for instance, the fleet farm was being considered because, of course, it was in the town of Nassawapi. I always forget that the town of Nassawapi doesn't have county zoning. Right. So is it like, for instance, the town of Gardner that just, you can do anything? Is it? So Gardner and Nassawapi don't have town or county zoning, except that the county by state law has to enforce the shoreland, the state shoreland zoning regulations and the state and federal floodplain regulations in those two towns. But otherwise, they haven't adopted town level zoning. And then the one other town that's somewhat similar is the town of Egg Harbor, not the village, but the town of Egg Harbor. We only have shoreland and floodplain zoning jurisdiction and then the town does not have a zoning ordinance in egg harbor they do have other a lot of other ordinances they've got like a subdivision code and a sign code and i think maybe a design standards and a building code and things like that but they don't have actual zoning where it's saying this area is residential this area is commercial this area is agricultural with you know different lot sizes and setbacks and that kind of thing so then really nasawapi could build out that entire corridor right if it wanted right if there was interest. Yeah. And they don't have, the town of Egg Harbor, like you said, does at least have some controls in place in terms of what is going where when it's going there because of the design standards and that kind of thing. But does the town of Nassawapi have anything like that? Any oversight whatsoever? Or does um, I, I'm not sure. I know they, I think the town of Nassawapi might have a land division ordinance now, which maybe is dictating lot sizes, but I'm not positive about that. And, and the, in their building code, I think, I believe they have setbacks and things like that and probably height limits maybe on buildings, but I don't think there's anything that says like what type of use can actually go on a property. And that's true actually in Egg Harbor, Gardner and Nassawapi, that there's nothing controlling the use of land. Okay. 
Okay. So we are at now over 30 minutes, and uh, I and I told you that we were going to keep this short, but I wanted, whenever you're here, Mariah, you're such a wealth of knowledge, and you have like s- jurisdiction over so many aspects, and so many of the things that people are interested in, we didn't even get into housing and oh, yeah. all the That's things. That's a whole that, separate podcast. Right. <laughs> the, everything that you're doing with housing and zoning, I could talk to you about, you know, for, for hours. So, but we will stop it there. And I want to thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're listening to the Dora County Pulse podcast. And thanks for listening. And until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.